This is God's word to us from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. This is to the choir master, master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers in your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, we thank you for psalms like this, psalms where they're being honest about their own life situations and their struggles and their hardship and their depression. We need to hear this, and yet in the middle of this, you give hope and you promise that in that vulnerability and that rawness in our truthfulness you you meet us and you are you offer yourself to be the very thing that we're thirsty for so wherever we are in life right now whatever our our hungers and our thirst might be help us to see that you are the satisfaction of our longing please we ask in jesus name amen Okay, so we started off last week and we were discussing the fact that um, we're not always sure, I'm not always sure how to deal with sorrows or grief or depression. And this is, I think, only a growing thing in our culture right now. What do we do in the hardships, especially when we're facing deep difficulties and grief and depression? Psalms like this are called Psalms of Lament. And a lament is something that is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. These are just dictionary definitions. Or an expression of regret, disappointment, and complaint. These are songs of complaint to God. And and psalms that that are telling the story of deep sorrow and deep grief. So, these psalms help us engage the sorrow and the grief. As opposed to running from it, as opposed to pretending like it doesn't exist, these psalms actually invite us to face them, to engage them. And so how do they do that? Well, that's what we look more broadly. How do you use psalms like this? And I am just, if you ever want to know, we do record this, and I am still putting it online at the same place we did with the town church. So we talked about some things last week about how do you approach these psalms? How do you use these psalms in a little bit of a practical way? How do you do this broadly? Today, I want to look more specifically. 
because as we look more closely at Psalm 42 and 43, we find specifics for how to engage our grief, specifics for how we engage our, our depression. How do we deal with this? So I'm going to throw it out there, and nobody may want to respond to this, but I will ask, as you hear this psalm and as you read as you're looking at it, what kind of things do you see come out of the psalm that would help us know how to deal with our own grief? Any thoughts as we're reading this or as you're looking at it now? And I have lots of thoughts, so you don't have to have any. I've got plenty of things to say here, but I thought I would at least throw it out to you. Verse 9, okay. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Okay. Like back to back, that's a very interesting thing to say because your rock, it's your foundation, it's consistent, it's solid, it's for sure. But even when he says that, he's expressing. Like, where are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Expressing the opposite. Like, there's a recognition of what the truth is, and then. Yeah, and I think he's acknowledging a deep paradox of life. Could seem like a contradiction. It doesn't have to be a contradiction. It can be a, a legit paradox. I think that's part of lamenting is dealing in paradoxes. Mm. So this this is what we want to look at. How do we engage the sorrow specifically from this these two psalms? Acknowledge our thirst. And if you have the song sheet, I've got an outline there. Acknowledge our thirst, recount our experiences, and then refocus on our hope. I just want to walk through this. What is, how does the psalm show us these things? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My, thir- my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Engaging sorrow involves acknowledging thirst. You have to own the thirst You've got to acknowledge thirst. When you're acknowledging thirst, what are you acknowledging? Well, you've got to acknowledge desire and lack, want, or some kind of emptiness. You've got to, I think when you acknowledge your thirst, you've got to acknowledge both of these things. Because acknowledging desire, what is this? For for something more, you're, you're longing for something better than what you're currently experiencing, what you're currently drinking. There is, a, there, there is no lament if there is no thirst for something better. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there's no su- Sorry, I can't see you guys because of this light. There's no way to thirst if things are just fine, if you're not longing for something more. Okay? Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Which typically means you've got to sense that something's lacking. Something's missing. Uh, there's got to be maybe, and this can go a lot of different ways. It can be a feeling of emptiness. It can be a feel of feeling of hurt. Something is wrong. Maybe something is incomplete. It could be any of these things. Sometimes you think you know what that is, and other times it's just an unknown hole. It's just this feeling that you can't even put your finger on. Thirst is painful because it's the lack of something you need to survive physical thirst. I don't know if you've ever been close to actually being like thirsty to the point of death. I never have. I never want to be. That's why I carry water with me all the time. Because there's something about thirst you are lacking. 
deep that, that is you need for survival. This is what he's expressing when he speaks about tears and he talks about despair of being cast down. This is the thirst. He's describing this great lack of something. So here's a question for you to ponder today, right now, but then also as you go into the afternoon, go into the week. Where are you thirsting out of a desire or an emptiness? Where is that for you? Corporately, we could probably come up with things, but particularly, specifically, individually, we all have some kind of thirst. I I propose that most of us have some kind of thirst where we have a desire or a, a want. And do you ever even come to points where you know you're thirsty, but you're really not sure what it's for? So Katie, I wish she was here today because she would love this. After dinner, I will often roam around (laughs) in the kitchen, which is where she hangs out in our little, if you've been in our house, we got a little butcher block and that's where she usually hangs out and works. And she'll see me opening up the fridge and I'll grab some grapes and I'll get some cheese and then I'll pull out our little pantry boxes and I'll grab chips or something. And she goes, Dad, are you hungry or bored? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to put something in my mouth, right? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I want something. I don't fully know what it is. I think so often that's how we are in life. We roam around and we just grab this and that because we're hungry for something, but we're not sure what it is. For the psalmist, he knows what he's thirsty for. He says, I'm I'm thirsty for God. And maybe that's what we are hungry and thirsty for. Thirsty for God. Yeah. I wonder if we do that with TV shows sometimes. <laughs> I'm hungry for a story. I'm hungry to be to have my soul like to just not am I, am I watching something because I'm bored or am I like what am I actually doing? I know I'm, that's, I'm I'm there a lot. That's a little too personal. Let's move on from that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can anybody identify with that? Yes. Do you ever do that? <laughs> hungry for story. I think that's it. Yeah. We're hungry. We are hungry for story. What are you keep going? What is with that? What's behind that? I think we're craving a happy ending. There's so much in life that's not so happy. You're craving a happy ending. I've got a son who doesn't want to, cra- he, he has the opposite. He craves for, he because cra- I think, I think, I think most of us, all of us at some point want the happy ending, right? I think there's also those times I want somebody to tell the truth about the pain of the world. Mm. I think there's both of those things happening, right? Again, there's a bit of a paradox. Anything else with that? That's a good one. We could go off on our long rabbit trail with that one. That there's value in the, in the journey. Okay. And the, and the, <laughs> and I think that, the help of watching someone else go through the journey is I don't have to experience the pain and the struggle to quite the same degree, mm-hmm. right? Because there's the value in the journey of watching someone else go through the journey and I benefit from it, but I'm not necessarily having, I mean, I'm not saying that watching and listening and uh, telling stories is a bad thing. There's also something about the story gets to be something that I get to experience without quite as much pain with it, right? 
Wow, this is a good one. Let's keep talking through this one. Maybe we can talk about this on, when are we going to meet this week? Are we doing Tuesday this week? Okay, all right, we'll talk about it. We do a midweek thing for anybody that wants to show up. We have dinner and conversation. So as we move on from this, it's not just that we need to acknowledge the thirst. There's also uh, recounting experiences that takes place when we lament. And experiences can also be emotions or feelings. It's a recounting these things. I remember as I pour out my soul, the psalmist says in verse 4 of 30, 42, how I would go with many, even, even lead them to the house with shouts and songs of feasting. He's saying, I remember the good times. What is he remembering? What's he recounting? I remember the good times, the joy, the closeness that I had with, his, with people and also with you, God. I remember this. I remember, verse 6, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. I pray to the God of my life. This is, this is part of our, our grief. It's remembering the good times of life. But even as it, right? This is part of it. You're remembering it, it was and it can be and it has been so good. I remember these things. But even as he recounts these great experiences and emotions, what else is he recounting? Well, it's not that way now. There's other things than the good. There's also the not so good. So verses 1 and 2, he says, my soul's panting. He's, he's longing for something that he's not experiencing. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Who is he saying this? Who's saying this? Where's your God? This is the first time he says this. Where's your God? Could be others, but he's talking about his tears. I'm wondering if this is it's this metaphor that his tears are crying out, where is your God? This is coming f- potentially from within him. And then verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Nine, I say to God, my rock, <laughs> why have you forgotten me? Why do, you, why do you go mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So my enemies oppress me, he says. They taunt me as I, as I mourn. They say to me, where is your God? I'm a joke to the world around. So, and he's talking specifically as one who's trying to be a, a follower of this God. They're just, they're mocking him. You're trusting in God. Where is your God? The deep physical pain and the pain of rejection of others, he is definitely expressing, and it is real. He's also recounting all of this to himself. He's recounting it to whoever's listening to him. Maybe he's recounting this to God. He's recounting this to, to whoever will listen to him. But the greater pain is not just the sense of rejection of others. It's the sense of being forgotten by God. The deeper pain is the sense of feeling abandoned. He says, you're my rock, so why have you forgotten me? Why? Then he goes on to chapter 43. He says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Again, why have you rejected me? Why do you go, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? 
again, he's recounting this need for vindication, for defense, for deliverance because of, of what he has experienced, the un- injustice that he's experienced. It's coming against him, the mistreatment that he's experiencing. He's laying that out. But the worst part for him is feeling rejected by God. And he's telling that to God. Why have you rejected me? You claim to be faithful. Where are you? This is what he's saying. I have a conflict within me with this stuff. Because the angry conservative in me says, (laughs) uh, Stop complaining, you little baby. I mean, I do this to myself. I do this to myself and I judge others. Stop blaming God and others. Take responsibility for yourself. Oh, gosh, that is so ugly. And the, the angry liberal in me says, yeah, life is not fair. Where is God in your suffering? I mean, I have this tension within myself that psalms like this provoke. What do you do with this? Engaging, engaging sorrow is just complicated. Yeah. Just, there, there's no pat answer for how to do this and what it does to you. This is, this is part of what we call God's Word. We're, read, we're reading from what we call God's Word. These words of accusation to God are part of the record that God's given to us that we might know Him and relate to Him. Think about that. These records of crying out to God, why have you abandoned me? These are part of the record he's given to us so that we might actually know him. It involves lament and grief and honest cries, recounting our experiences, recounting our feelings, whether they are the good times, we do that, the good times of feeling connected and the cries of pain caused by people and by ourselves and even cries when you feel like you have been abandoned by the one who made you. What do, you, what do you think of that? Is that disturbing? Is it comforting? Is it both of those things? Any thoughts? Comforting? Do you know why? Because um, I know that I have had similar struggles as well, so to know that I'm not alone in that, to know that there are other people who have felt the same way as me, but I've been able to verbalize it in ways that maybe I don't know how to verbalize it, I find a connection there. I think you're you're nailing it. I think that's how it's supposed to be taken. It's to be a comfort. I think my discomfort is my own religious self-righteousness that gets in the way for me personally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Man, I want to be beyond that. I want, I mean, I've been doing this for a few years, right? I'm 28. I'm a little older than 28. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you, you feel like maybe can you get over can you get over that? And whoever's, I mean, these Psalms are ancient, right? And they're written by some, probably some pretty old people who were able to express this. And I think it is meant to be for our comfort. In all of this, there is this recurring theme 
is a recurring refrain. It's a chorus that you would sing, which we're calling a refocus. There's a refocus that takes place. This, this is how his complaint keeps him from spiraling into utter despair, even in the midst of his deep suffering, this refrain that we're going to read again, because it, it refocuses him beyond his truth and beyond just his experience to a greater truth and a greater hope. This refrain does this. Now, before we go straight into it, I want to be careful and clear. This is not something that you can force on each other, on one another. It is, it is a true hope that God gives that we can offer ourselves in one another. But I also think we need to be, I need to be very careful because uh, some may not be at a point of being able to receive this and to hear this. So we need wisdom about when and how to bring this up. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday as far as how you enter into someone else's grief. How do you offer hope that doesn't feel artificial and pat and pushes their grief in, into the mud? Because God is saying, let the, let the grief come out. And at the very same time, he does have hope for us in the midst of it. Even though a real part of the people who are writing this, these particular psalms, though they really did have this feeling of being abandoned, there was another voice speaking a deeper reality. Three times, three times it goes through this. Three times, this is in verse 5 and 11 of chapter 42, and then the end of uh, 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Yes, he says, I am cast down. I am in a very dark hole. Yet there's this other voice that keeps rising up in the sorrow, in the pain, in the depression, calling him to wake up wake up, wake up, refocus on a greater hope than your feelings. That says his presence is a reality in your depression, in your soul torment. Your depression is not your end. It's not your end. This is what the voice is saying. The God that he feels has abandoned him has not and actually will not abandon him. He will again, he says, celebrate God because it is his salvation and his God. Meaning God, the God, is his God. It's a, he's drawing into it being personal. There's this voice that's saying it's a personal God. He is actually engaged with you on a very personal level. Level He refocuses on this confident hope. Even though he may not feel like it now, he says, I will again praise God. This will not be the end. This is why he prays. This is at the middle of chapter 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, with a stringed instrument. O God, my God. We are, we are best able to engage our sorrow and depression and grief, our darkness, when we can, yes, honestly recount the experiences and the feelings that we have. You've got to be able to do that. 
but also have a hope beyond what we feel or what we see in the moment. Because if you're stuck in the moment, there is no hope. If the moment is all you have, if what you see is all there is, there's no hope in that. This requires the kind of self-talk that we see here. But, but more than being like the self-generated, wishful self-help, this is connected to, all, this self-talk is more than just self-talk because it's connected to a bigger story and requires another voice speaking into us. This voice that he's saying that sounds like his voice is his voice, but it's his voice infused by another voice that Scripture calls the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one that is actually speaking this voice. It's bringing the reminder. The Spirit speaks often most clearly through the biblical story. So that's what this psalm is based on, this narrative that has led up to this point. The biblical story is the way that the Spirit of God speaks to us. And now he also speaks to us through his word in community, in Jesus', in Jesus community with one another. When you, can't not, when you can't believe and when you can't see hope, sometimes you need other people to believe for you. Sometimes you're in the hole and you don't have a way out, you need others to be able to tell you that there's a way out. When you have no hope, we need a greater hope spoken over us, spoken into us. Right? Does that resonate? You try doing this all on your own. Let's talk. Can I talk about the situation that you were talking about this morning? Your friend? In general, yeah. So he's talking about a friend who was a close friend, a follower of Jesus for many years. And he got out of college and he kind of got disconnected from community. And over time, he just kind of gave up on the whole faith thing, which is not an uncommon thing. And it's very understandable. There's also something about disengaging in community that makes it very difficult to walk and to know hope that's found in Christ because we need to tell each other the story. This is, this is just how we're, we're made for, we're made for family, we're made for community. We're made to be able to remind each other what is true when it's hard for us to actually believe that this is true. And the spirit that speaks and wakes and refocuses the psalmist and refocuses us and speaks to us is the same spirit that was in Jesus. Jesus is <laughs> considered, among many things, a truly spirit-filled man. He is the f- fully spirit-filled man, unquestionably. This is, this is how we know him to be and how he actually lived his life. And yet, he experienced a greater abandonment and suffering than you and I are ever going to experience. I'm going to connect how the Spirit can engage with this feeling of being abandoned. Jesus, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he voiced that, which that in and of itself was a quotation of Psalm 22. 
He was reiterating God's word, and this is what he was expressing. And all who looked on him also thought that he had been abandoned by God. Many basically said, they basically said, where's your God? Because when he was, when he was hanging, there, there were people that said things like, save yourself. If you, look, if you really are the son of God, if you really are who people say you are and who you say you are, just come down from there. He was mocked. If anyone had the right to say that he was abandoned, he was being treated unjustly, it was Jesus. Because we really did abandon him. It wasn't just a feeling of being abandoned. He was actually abandoned by him, left alone to die. And though he felt abandoned by God and unjustly experienced the consequences of our abandonment of God, I mean, the cross is an illustration of us abandoning God. Jesus experienced the consequences of that. He remained faithful to his Father and to us through the suffering. He never wavered. He refused to leave us, though we left him. So much so that he came back from the other side of ultimate suffering. He came out of death to return to us and to give us peace, not condemnation, to come out of the suffering, return to us to give us peace. In his resurrection, the Father vindicated him. He is mine. He is the way. And though he was not kept from suffering, he was ultimately delivered out of it. This is critical for us in understanding the nature of the gospel, but also the nature of how we walk in and through suffering. With Jesus, what do we see? Well, lots of things, but in light of this, what is it that we see? We abandon God, not the other way around. And God refused to abandon us. The truth is, God refuses to abandon us, even in our worst acts of hatred and rejection of Him. He will not abandon you. That is what the cross and resurrection tell us. So that now the spirit that was in Jesus, that suffered with Jesus, that raised Jesus from death to lasting life that goes way beyond our suffering, that spirit now comes to live in you and me, who see him as the ultimate answer of how the, the soul who is cast down and in turmoil can be raised to new life and celebration. The spirit that raised, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that is, that is the story of, this, of the gospel. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead actually dwells in you. If he dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead is also going to give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Jesus is not only the proof of life out of sorrow and despair and depression and death, he is a present comfort in it. And he is the way through it because he is our salvation and our God. Father, these are heavy things that we, we need for your spirit to actually speak into us help us to understand and then help us to know what it looks like to find our rest 
in the midst of our trials, or of our difficulties, of our suffering, of our grief, of our depression, to hear your voice of hope spoken in to these places in our own life. So please do that in us and for us. And as you do that, and as you form us and shape us by this great hope, help us know what it looks like to go into the world where there is also grief and depression and pain and be a different kind of presence for those people with deep compassion. Make us a people that are, that are quick to hear and slow to speak. And when we do speak, to speak with grace and love that can offer hope in the time of need. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.